Let us turn again in the word of God to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, reading at verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We shall consider these words in their context as the Lord is pleased to enable us. We live in an age where thinking is not really called for. We live in the age of media downloads. And many people do not take the trouble to think about the source of all this information. They've become receivers and not critical thinkers. We see it in the education systems as well. You don't have to even spell words nowadays. The computer will correct it. You're looking for something in research. You type something in and maybe hundreds of articles come up on that uh, subject. You can even download sermons on the internet nowadays. There's a dumbing down going on, in other words. Even meanings in dictionaries are being rewritten. And people don't look at the meaning of the words, but at the meaning the dictionary gives it. That's where the classics were so important, the, the Latin and the Greek and the other ancient languages, because languages, words have a history. But now, well, the nearest equivalent I can think of is uh, George Orwell's book, 1984, where you had double speak in the dictionaries, the meanings to words that the state gave it, and very few people questioned the source of the word's meanings. Unfortunately, this has spilled over into the church. We're living in an age of dumbing down doctrine. Sermons which are given, which do not require people to think much. It's even affecting Christian literature. Think about it. Which kind of book sells more? The book that is written about men or women who serve the Lord or books about the person and work of Christ? And you know the answer to that as well as I do. There's something imbalanced about this. The mystery of godliness, Christ Jesus, is set forth for our Meditation, contemplation, adoration, study, imitation, 
Surely that's what we should be concerned about, thinking about, reading about, hearing about. But the trouble is, when you dumb down a generation, there's a cascading effect. That generation is not equipped mentally to teach the generation that comes after. And so you lose a generation. And that seems to have happened in the church. God says, come now and let us reason together. He's not calling for an emotionally exciting experience. It's a case of using your mind. Let us reason together. And notice, you've not to do this on your own. A man or woman left to their own thinking, well, people are so selfish, there's going to be a self-bias. Let us. It's like a conference. Only you are to respond to what God says to you. And that, of course, is the essence of our prayers. It is a response to what God has said. A right prayer is in harmony and prays to be in harmony with God's purposes and promises. We really cannot pray according to any other rule. We pray according to his will, his purpose, his promises. That takes thought. You have to know his purposes and his promises if you're going to meditate upon them and respond in, in prayer. But nowadays, we seem to have the principle of the empty mind at work in the media and, sadly, in various places in the church. The word of God says, let us reason together. And even in serving God, it talks about a reasonable service. You have to put your mind into what you do. It is the doctrine which is according to godliness. Doctrine needs to guide godliness. Otherwise, you end up with a zeal which is not according to knowledge. And there's a lot of that about today. Now, to summarize what is being taught here, having established the criminality of the people, God then speaks to them, not in judgment, but surprisingly, words of grace and, and mercy. These words are addressed to people who were, whether they admitted it or not, they were in rebellion. And this is a court situation. But it's, a, it's like the, the judge, he's about to pass sentence. They know they deserve it. And it's as if he leans over and says, come now, let us reason together. And instead of pronouncing judgment, he offers mercy. He has set out the claims of his law, 
Their case seems desperate and hopeless. And then he says, come. Come now. Let us reason together. Their sins have been declared by God. But then God reveals something that he can do, which is impossible for us. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Your sins shall be cleansed away, not by anything you can do. You cannot bribe the judge, but by the blood of the judge's son, the blood of the lamb. That's what cleanses us from all sin. And indeed, Christ is exalted here. Because the father would not be saying this except for the son. The father would not be cleansing sinners from their guilt except for the son's blood. And as for the Holy Spirit, well, he it is that brings the sinner to hear. Hear and your soul shall live. The whole trinity involved. Now, first of all, let us study this advice, encouragement from uh, the judge here. These people have shown themselves by, to be ungrateful. Those who abuse what God has given them. Those who are getting worse and worse despite God's corrections, chastisements. And they were unhealed. And they were getting worse, and they were dying, and they were not taking that into consideration. And how many people today are taking this into consideration? That if you continue as you are, it's not going to end well. But such is the power of sin. It can blind the mind, close the heart, stop the ears. Now, we cannot open them. We cannot reach the hearts. We can preach the word of God. It will go into the ears. But only the spirit can give the understanding after the ears and put it down into the heart. When the saving word of God comes, it comes down the way. Knowledge, understanding, will, heart. That's the order. And that is how the Holy Spirit works. God tells us what we are. By nature, we trivialize what sin is. And we think, oh, well, that will never happen. People talk about the, the larger hope. They hope for the best. Frankly, they should expect the worst. Because without Christ, there is no hope whatsoever. It's just a house going up based on sand. We're called upon to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And that reason is Christ. Whatever hope we build is built on that foundation, which no man can lay, but which the Father has laid. And it's been there for thousands of years. 
right, since Seth began to call upon the name of the Lord. Notice how that is the gospel response there. Even at the end of Genesis 4, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The gospel was there from the Garden of Eden. And it's quite clear Adam and Eve taught their children. The judge speaks to the, the person in the dock, you might say, come now. Not what he was expecting to hear. And it is a great surprise when someone seeks the Lord and they come together in peace. I thereupon have unto thee my sin acknowledged. And there was immediate forgiveness and pardon and justification and hope. There was a future for that sinner. And he wasn't expecting that to be said to him. Conscience works on a principle of justice. I have done wrong. I deserve to be punished. But the spirit of grace teaches conscience. Yes, if the Lord should mark iniquity, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. With the Lord, there is mercy. With the Lord, there is plenteous redemption. So come now and let us reason together. The Lord is here calling for a change of mind. Another word for a change of mind is repentance. Repentance was seen in the prodigal, for example. He took what God gave him, all his gifts, benefits, but took them away and spent everything on himself. In other words, he turned his back on God, rather like Cain, who went out from the presence of the Lord. But in repentance, when the Spirit gives that effectual calling, he was persuaded and he was enabled and he was given a hope to come back. And now it's not the back he turns to the Father, it's the face. And he comes home. And those who are seeking the Lord should be encouraged. You will find difficulties. Don't expect anything else. In yourself, from the devil, even sometimes from the church. But if you keep seeking, you will find. Because spiritually speaking, you would not be seeking him unless he was already seeking you, remember. But you cannot arrange the time of the meeting. That appointment, it lies with him also. Augustine, and more people should read Augustine, godly genius, he said, I had not found thee unless thou had found me first. When he came to himself, something happened in that prodigal. And it turned him about. And it's as if he heard, come now, let us reason together. You have done this. You have broken the law. You have sinned. You've shown defiance. 
You were reluctant to come home. You resisted. But come now, let us reason together. We should never give up on a person. You know, the, the prodigal's father, he always left the door open. And we should always leave the door open, especially to children who have gone away. We cannot write them off. The father was looking out. He was expecting him back. And he ran to meet him. John Trapp, one of the Puritan commentators, one of Spurgeon's favorites, he was very witty sometimes. Trapp says his father ran and he kissed him. Now he said, this is surprising. If we had read his father ran and he kicked him, well, we would expect that. But no, he, he kissed him. And if you look up Matthew Henry, he has a, a beautiful paragraph on the father. He talks about eyes of mercy, legs of mercy, heart of mercy, arms of mercy, kisses of mercy, all traced to the father. We probably don't speak enough about the father or the Holy Spirit. But remember, when God says, come now, it does mean the three persons are involved. One may speak for the other two, but they're all in harmony with what is spoken. The Lord Jesus said that he spoke the words he heard from his father. And he communicated the power of those words by the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity involved in a sinner's salvation. You can understand why Paul spoke about the exceeding greatness of his power in saving one soul from their sins. Let us reason together. And the implication here in the gospel is plead guilty. You will not be condemned. You will be acquitted. Now, that is contrary to natural reason. If I come to God and, and plead guilty, confess my sin, I will be acquitted. That doesn't sound right, people will say. No. But you see, God does not punish sin twice. If you repent for your sin then the sin that you are confessing has already been dealt with by God. Otherwise, you would not be repenting that sin. Remember, he has received gifts for men. One is repentance. And he's received this for men because he died for these people to purchase these gifts for these people. And so they come to him with the faith he has given them with the repentance he has given them and all because of the spirit he has given them. Acts 5, him has God exalted to be a prince and a savior unto Israel to grant repentance, to give repentance. That's why he's exalted. Received gifts for men, given gifts for men. Plead guilty. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, even though your sins were scarlet, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, as the Lord said, if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. To refuse the gospel and to keep the law. Well, the law has no mercy, but there's mercy in this court. David, when he sinned, and this was after he was converted, he was in a great uh, distress. He was given a choice. And he replied, let me now fall into the hands of the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. There's no mercy with man. And you should consider whose hands, whose arms you would prefer to fall into. For with the Lord there is mercy. Now, let us reason together. How many warnings, invitations have you had? Do you think they will go on forever? One day both will end. The warning and the invitation. The door to heaven is now open. One day it will be closed. And then as we were reminded this morning, it's a case of son, remember. People are very concerned nowadays about what they think of God. You should be more concerned with what God thinks of you. That is more concerning. But he hasn't cast them off yet. He says, come now and let us reason together. Think about this. Think about why he can make this free offer in the gospel. Something has happened. God's justice has been satisfied. He's just and the justifier. God's wisdom is at work. Sin has been punished. The prisoners go free. As top lady said, he cannot demand punishment from myself and from my surety for the same sins. And Christ said, it is finished. Let us reason together. Think about what the Lord has revealed here. Yes, we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let us not trivialize sin. It must be punished. It is the contradiction of God's holy character. It must be punished. It is, you might say, a, a necessity in his nature. But wisdom found a way to punish sin and to acquit the sinner. Now, reason could never have found that out. Ralph Erskine has a, a lovely sermon on the end of uh, Psalm 85 the passage about um, truth and righteousness and, and they kiss together in peace. And he said, 
He pictured the attributes of God all sitting round a table. There was justice, demanding punishment for sin, and there was mercy, which was pleading for the, the life of the sinner. And he said that wisdom, this attribute of God, presided over the council. And wisdom came to a plan of salvation, whereby justice would be satisfied and peace, mercy could then go forth. Because justice was a barrier, you see. Justice was satisfied. Mercy went forth. Barrier was gone. That he may be just and the justifier of the sinner. And it's according to his wisdom. The catechism and effectual calling really summarizes it very well what happens. You are convicted of sin, but you are persuaded of God's gracious character, and you are enabled to return by the spirit of God's work within you. Now, that is doctrine without any dumbing down. And the shorter catechism was made the, the pattern of some excellent treatises on uh, divinity, whether it be Thomas Boston or Thomas Watson. Willison is another one. Patterson. They found it so excellent. In fact, Spurgeon used Thomas Watson's in his pastor's college. The, the three volumes, Ten Commandments, uh, Lord's Prayer, and the Body of Divinity, they call it. This is how it's done. This is why it's done. This is why God can do it, and he does not compromise his justice. Mercy goes forth. Yes, it goes to the undeserving. Who else can it go forth to? Mercy is only for the guilty. Plead guilty. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and thou didst it freely forgive. Full pardon. There was a man dying in an American prison in the 19th century. And, of course, he and his family uh, wrote to the governor for pardon. And the governor, for whatever circumstances, could not pardon that man. So he sent his secretary to the, the prison, to death row. And he said to the man, the man stood up, gasping, hoping it was good news. And he said, now, sit down. Consider. The governor cannot pardon you. But he said, there's another kind of pardon. It's a pardon given by God. And it's for sinners. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What is impossible for men is possible with God. This man does receive sinners. This man does pardon sinners. 
And Christ came into the world not to save the good people. There weren't any. He came to save the bad people, the sinners, the lawbreakers. And these people who are sensible of their sins, they come to Christ. And other people say, I don't believe this. It does not make sense. In fact, it even sounds immoral. The Apostle Paul had to put up with that kind of criticism in Romans. No, he said, he's just and the justifier. And your conscience can be clear that God, having punished your sins on Christ, they will not be punished again in you. That would be unjust. When the missionaries came to the west coast of Africa centuries ago, they wanted to know if any missionary had been before them. So they asked one of them, and they said, do you know the gospel? And he said, yes. And he said, well, what is the gospel? And the native said, he die or me die. He die, me no die. And in very simple terms, that is the gospel. Either Christ died for your sin or you will die for your own sin. Plead guilty. Flee to Christ. The blood came on that cross. We have peace with God through the blood of the cross. We have access to God by the blood. Remember the high priest, any priest, could not approach God without the blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The blood has been shed, and the gospel says, come, come now. It would have been just to say, depart. And the glory of God's justice will be seen on the last day. Depart from me, ye cursed. But the gospel says, come. Come now. Let us reason together. You see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God takes the initiative here. He does not lower his moral demands. He is just. He speaks first. And we speak second. Prayer responds to Christ's prayer. He ever lives to make intercession, to bring those to him for whom he died. Now, we don't know exactly, of course, for whom Christ died, but they all have this in common. They repent, they trust, they love, they adore, they give thanks. They want to live to him. They want to live with him. And they look forward to living without sin. That is what they have in common. None of them come to heaven saying, I'm good enough. I deserve this. I've kept the law. No, they come as sinners. This man receives sinners. And he eats with them. 
Now, isn't that a lovely picture of the Lord's Supper? This man receiveth sinners, and he eateth with them. Let us reason together. There is no emotional confrontation here. There is no exciting meeting here. I was reading William Guthrie of Fenwick. And what he says, many would not agree with nowadays. But it's true. He says, coming to Christ is not a thing of emotion only, demanding much excitement, deep distress, and rapturous visions. We respond to the Lord's invitation, and we respond with calm and convinced faith. A man who is determined to seek and find will close with Christ not in some fit and gust of passion, but as it were in cold blood. Cold blood, he said. Let us reason together. To stay away is to perish. To come to Christ, even if you do not fully understand things, that's safety. John Bunyan and his Pilgrim's Progress, wonderful book, a lot of scripture in it. He says that when a sinner is convinced, he's like the man, he sees the celestial city, he sees the gates are open, and the king up there in the palace, and he said, set my name down, sir. He was going through the opposition. And they gave him the armor of God, and he cut his way through with many wounds, came to the other side, and they sang, Come in, come in, eternal glory thou shalt win. Not everybody responds to this invitation. They do not want to think about God or themselves. That's painful. Self-examination is a painful thing. To accept that you are a, a sinner putrefying sores and everything else, depraved in all your faculties, none good, no, not one, none righteous, no, not one. To accept that is to humble yourself in the sight of God. But then God promises he will lift you up. Humble yourself. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. God, he will not be unfaithful to his son. All those for whom he died, for whom he intercedes, they will be brought. They are the father's gift. But remember, they all have certain things in common, whether they come from north, south, east, or west. He says, come. Come, if necessary, in this as Guthrie said, cold blood. You may feel nothing. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you trust. You cast yourself upon the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. You can say with David, how can we be cleansed from crimson sins to white as snow? 
Do thou with hyssop sprinkle me, I shall be cleansed so. Come. When you come to God, it's always worship. And that is the most important activity on earth, to worship God. Indeed, we could wish we could do it all the time because we're usually at our safest when we come to worship. We're away from so many temptations and the world. We are closed in with him. And isn't that what heaven is? To be closed in with Christ. To come in and to never go out. But think of God's pity over our condition. Come now, he says. Come and be reconciled to God, as Paul puts it. Your sin must be punished. But look to the one who was the sacrifice. Look to the blood. Look to the cleansing power of that blood. People think it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to those that perish. But there's nothing more precious to sinners than the blood of Christ. Can any good result from you from be there if you continue as you are? I'll conclude with a, something I heard about two men on a bus on this island. One was very critical of God. He had lost his son. And he said to the other, how could God do that to my son? And he said, have you considered what he did to his own son to save sinners? Can there be any greater proof of the love and pity of God? Come now. Don't come to the preacher. Come to God. Let us reason together with God. Preachers can distract you from that meeting. God is the most important person you have to meet. Two ministers went to London to hear the two greatest preachers in London. They went in the morning to hear Joseph Parker. They came out and they were saying, Parker, what a voice, what eloquence, what content, what, what power, what a grip he had over the people. They went to Spurgeon in the evening and they came out. How great Christ is, my Lord and my God. May he bless his word to us.